Before I get started this evening, uh, please continue to remember Miss Clara. She's back in the ICU at Baptist Hospital in Jackson. So continue to remember her in your prayers. Let's pray. I'm more eternal and everlasting, Father. We are thankful this evening for your grace and your mercy. Thankful for your love that you have displayed to us. Thankful for the goodness that you show. And for many answered prayers. You continue to show yourself a faithful father. For this we are grateful. This evening we have gathered to study a portion of your word. We realize that the human mind is incapable of understanding or grasping anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it's a request that the Holy Spirit will open our minds and cause us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We are in the song of praise for God from Israel in Exodus chapter 15 verses 1 through 21. I read from verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hauled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowning the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. He consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, walking wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistine. The chiefs of Eden will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and pan them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, 
your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Moses, I mean Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, saying to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hauled into the sea. Now recall that we stated in our last study that the primary message you should bear in mind as we analyze this section of Exodus chapter 15 verses 1 through 21 is this. Your praise of God for your deliverance should focus on his person, action, uniqueness, a manner of his deliverance, if not. We also stated that this message implies that the song of praise that we are studying should enable us to know how to praise God once we have received deliverance or experienced his kindness to us. Now to this effect, we stated that there are some responsibilities we have regarding uh, praising God, regarding his goodness that we receive. We consider the first responsibility, which is to resolve to praise God. Just have that resolve that you're going to praise him. Whatever you experience, his deliverance or his goodness. So we consider, uh, we proceed to consider a second responsibility. A second responsibility you have when you receive God's deliverance or experience his goodness is to ensure that in your praise you acknowledge specific character, uh, characteristics or character of God relevant to his action for which you praise him as well as acknowledge his uniqueness. In other words, when you experience his deliverance, there is some aspect of his character that's involved. Remember to praise him for those. And then, because acknowledge his uniqueness in whatever he has done for you. Now, this second responsibility implies that your praise of God for his goodness should at least focus on three elements found in the song of praise that we are studying. Therefore, a first content of your praise should be characteristic or characteristics of God that pertain to his specific goodness to you. Now this first content is derived from the first and involved in the focus on Israel's God in the song of the praise that we are considering. Now this focus of God of Israel is given in verses 2 and 3 that involves description of God in three ways. In other words, there are three ways God is described. 
Now Moses first described uh, Israel's God as his strength and song. As we read in that first sentence of verse 2. Look at it. It says, The Lord is my strength and my song. Now really what does Moses mean in this description of Yahweh? Now to begin with, the word Lord here is translated from uh, a Hebrew word, Yah, that is really a shortened form of the Hebrew word that in the uh, NIV and many of our English versions they translate with all caps Lord or something uh, Versions use directly Yahweh, which is actually the name of the God of Israel that he gave to the Israelites through Moses, with which to identify him. That is his personal name. Just as you have your personal name, God has his. And his personal name is Yahweh. Now that aside, the phrase, my strength and my song, is one that appears three times in the Old Testament scripture. All in the context of praise of God. Now, his first occurrence is, of course, is in the song that we're uh, considering. A second is in the mouth of the psalmist in Psalm 118, verse 14. Psalms 118, verse 14. It is the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Now the third occurrence of this phrase is in the concluding hymn or thanksgiving in the book of Isaiah that is generally recognized as the conclusion of the path of the book of Isaiah often described as the book of Emmanuel. There are certain aspects, chapters in Isaiah that's described as the book of Emmanuel. That is, of course, chapter 6 to 12. That, those sections are referred by scholars as the book of Emmanuel. Now, thus, our phrase then is used in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 12 verse 2 Isaiah chapter 12 verse 2 reads Surely God is my salvation I will trust and not be afraid The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my son He has become my salvation. Now to understand the sentence, the Lord is my strength and my song, we need to consider two words that Moses used. The first word is that word strength. Strength. That is translated from a Hebrew uh, word, oz. That may mean fortification. Stronghold. That is, a place or structure 
which is a safe place to reside against attacks of others, as it is used in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 22. Proverbs Proverbs chapter 21 verse 22. It reads, A wise man attacks the city of the mighty and pulls down the stronghold, place of safety, stronghold in which they trust. Now the Hebrew word may mean stubbornness, stubbornness. That is, of course, unwillingness to change a behavior showing pride and self-will, as it is used to describe the state of Israel that will cause the Lord to punish them, as we read in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 19. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 19. Leviticus 26 verse 19 reads, I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. Now some contend that the meaning of the word, the Greek word in our passage of Exodus 15 verse 2 is refuge or fortress. But because such meaning is not appropriate in its usage of Exodus chapter 15 verse 13 that we are studying. The meaning in our passage is simply strength. As the word is used several times to describe God, for example, in Psalm 46 verse 1. Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Psalm 46 reads, God is our strength and God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. As a passage, you need to find a way to commit to your memory or paraphrase it so that... uh, Whenever you face a situation, you know he's present to help you. Now, a second word used in the sentence of Exodus 15, verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song is, of course, the word song. Now, it is translated from a Hebrew word with an uncertain meaning in our verse. The word may mean the best products as it is used in the instruction of Jacob to his sons concerning the gifts they were to take to Joseph as a man in charge of distributing grain or dispensing grains to others in Egypt before they knew he was their brother or before he knew that was his son. That's what our 
word is then translated uh, the best product in Genesis chapter 43 verse 11. Genesis chapter 43 verse 11. It is then their father Israel said to them if it must be then do this put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift, a little balm, a little honey, some spices and more, some pistachio, nuts and almonds. Here, notice the expression, the best products, the best products. That's a Hebrew word translated song, but here it's translated the best products. Now the Hebrew word may also mean strength or ability. As it is used in a passage that I cited previously, you don't need to go back there. But Psalm 118, verse 14, uh, it is used here. Again, with the meaning uh, strength. And the word may mean song as in the denouncing of Israel by the Lord for being involved in ritual that involves music instead of Pursuit of justice in Amos chapter 5 verse 23. Many today have uh, almost reduced the worship of God only to singing. And that is a very small part of worshipping God. But uh, today, I mean, that just, he has taken over. And very little is done as, in terms of teaching believers because music has dominated. And the, the result of it is, yeah, people have all these emotional things, but it doesn't reflect anything in their life because they don't have anything in the soul. So that kind of thing is what God was denouncing. Here it says, Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. And if you go home, you can read the rest. And part of it says, I'd rather let you do uh, maintain justice. Now in our passage though, of Exodus 15 verse 2, the Hebrew word means song, that is a piece of music. That is either played or, I mean, on an instrument, or simply a song, or both. It, it can mean both. Now, music was an important part in Israel's worship. The skill to produce music comes from God. Though, uh, this we may deduce from the fact that God gives skills. He gives skills in this in that he, the skill he gave to uh, Bizelel that was necessary for artistic designs of the tabernacle as we read in Exodus chapter 31 verse 3. 
Now God can give people various kinds of skills that uh, even if they train the same way, those with special gifts of that skill from God will, will be different. And I use all kinds of things. Just take what happened in the industry, for example. You train some machinists. Those with special skill will exceed others. You train physicians. Those with special skill will ex- exceed others. In anything you want to mention, those God has given special skill, they are going to distinguish themselves. And this is why I've always said this on a personal basis. If I have two physicians that I need to go see, one of them is a believer that I know lives according to truth, and the other one is an unbeliever that is considered a super uh, whatever expert. I will go for the believer who is not a super expert. My reasoning is always played out. It's simply this. If If a person is a believer, God will give him a skill that even if he doesn't know certain things, he will do something people can't even explain. Now I remember one of those times, one of the presidential uh, contenders that used to be a surgeon, we were interviewing him he, many, many years ago. One of the things he said is, many times he run into situations he wasn't prepared in medical school to do. So he said he take out, go in, to the room and pray and pray and pray and say, Lord, don't know what to do. Invariably, he comes up, he does some things that people can explain. And I say, yeah, that's my reason. Because God who can give skill, can give the skill of a, a type that is will say, well, it's just a technical skill. Yes, he gives that kind too. Well, this is the reason I, of course, say he can give you a giftable the skill of music. Take, for example, uh, Belal, he was given special artistic skill. Here it says in Exodus 31 verse 3, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Look at with the skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. So if God can give skill to Bezalel for artistic design, he certainly gave the skill for making music as implied in Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 12. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 12. It reads, The men did the work faithfully, over them to direct them where uh, Jehaz and Obadiah, Levites, descendants from uh, Merari and Zechariah, and Mesulam, descended from Kohat. The Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments, these are, I mean, these were the Levites. So it's not only that God gave skill for music, he also inspired the songs of Israel, as we can infer from David's 
claim of God giving him a new song in Psalm 40 verse 3. Psalm 40 verse 3. Psalm 40 verse 3. This is what David says. Says, He, that's of course the Lord, puts a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So, anyway, music is important in Israel's worship of their God. And so we should understand that songs were intended to worship God among the Israelites of old. In the same way today, we still use songs but not in the disproportionate way that people use it today. Because the early church did, uh, if you knew really what the early church did in terms of singing, it doesn't come any close to what we do today. Nothing like it. Because there are songs, like you say, look at songs <laughs> and see how you can sing them. And most of their songs were in that uh, uh, fashion. Anyway, be that as it may, our concern is what Moses meant when he wrote the first sentence of Exodus 15 verse 2 that we're starting when it says, The Lord is my strength and my song. Now, when Moses describes God as his strength, he means God is the one who provides him strength. So he recognized how powerful God is. Of course, when Moses wrote the phrase, my strength, my strength, that is a way also to confess how weak we are as humans. How weak we are. Now, we cannot accomplish anything without the power that God supplies. It's for this reason that the Lord Jesus Christ declared that without Him we cannot achieve anything that is worthwhile spiritually as we read in John chapter 15 verse 5. John the Gospel Chapter 15, verse 5. John chapter 15, verse 5. John 15, verse 5 reads, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As simple as that. Anything that is spiritual of nature. Apostle Paul recognized this truth when through the Holy Spirit he declared that he, he could do or accomplish much in the spiritual realm through the strength the Lord gives him as is stated in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Philippians chapter 4, verse 
13. Now it reads, I can do everything. Now I think after what I thought on Sunday, as soon as you saw that word everything, you know it has to be limited. Because everything is the same Greek word, pass. So it doesn't mean any and everything. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Thus, like in Moses' song of praise, Apostle Paul thanked the Lord Jesus Christ for the strength he provided him, as we can read from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. First Timothy chapter one verse twelve. It is I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appoint me appointing me to his service. So the point is that when Moses confessed, the Lord is my strength, he meant God provided him strength. Since humans have no power to achieve anything meaningful in the spiritual life. We don't have that power. Now likewise, when Moses stated that the Lord is his song, he probably meant that the Lord is not only the object of his song of praise, but the very song of praise is from the Lord. That's what he's acknowledging. So, what this phrase means to us when we praise God for his goodness to us is that we should recognize his power and recognize that he is the one that enables us even to praise Him. It comes from Him. If you actually do the praising, it must come from Him. In effect, when we praise God, we should recognize that He is all in all, that without Him, there's nothing we can achieve. But that's anything that we can achieve, that that is, has to be from Him or that is worthy of him. So in any event, Moses' first description of God is concerned with the power of God and focus on him as both the object of his praise and the one who has supplied the song of praise. So since Moses focused on God's power, that means depending on what he has done for you, and almost everything God does for you involves his power. So when you praise him, you must focus on his power. You must thank him for such power that he possesses. Now Moses' next description of the God of Israel is that the one responsible for the physical salvation or deliverance of Israel. Now it is his description that is given in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2. Look how he again and say, He has become my salvation. He has become my salvation. 
Now it is interesting that Moses wrote this sentence considering who God is in that he has eternally existed and so whatever function attributed to him has always been true of him. It is this that makes the sentence interesting especially because of the expression has become, has become. That is really, that expression is translated from a, a Hebrew verb that has a range of meaning. A Hebrew verb, kaya. Now the word may mean to come into being. And so means to come to, to appear or to arise. As it is used in connection with a voice in Ezekiel's vision. In Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 25. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 25 Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 25 reads Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads as they stood with lowered wings now the Hebrew word may mean to happen or to occur as the word is used by prophet Isaiah to assure King Ahaz that the plot of two kings to attack Judah will not take place. This is recorded in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 7. Isaiah Chapter 7, verse 7. It reads, Yet, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. That's the same Hebrew word has been, or has become. It will not happen. Same word, really. Now, so the word may mean to be, to be or to become with several nuances to it. So then the word may mean to remain or to abide or even to continue. As it is used in the, in the sense of that word that is used to describe the period, the ark of Israel remained in the hands of the Philistines with God inflicting all kinds of diseases and sicknesses in the lands or Philistine in recorded in 4 Samuel chapter 6. Let's look at verse 1 in particular. 4 Samuel chapter 6 verse 1. 4 Samuel chapter 6 verse 1 reads, when the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months, so uh, had been here, it comes from a Hebrew word that we're looking at. Now, the word may mean to become as in creation of man, as reported in Genesis 
chapter 2 verse 7. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 reads, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became, that's a Hebrew word, became a living being. Now the Hebrew word is really used in Exodus 15 verse 2 with the meaning then to become in the sense of entering or assuming a certain state or condition. So the state Moses implied God had entered in, in his relationship with him and, and Israel, based on his walk of deliverance of Israel, is given the phrase of where we're studying Exodus 15 verse 2, when it says, He has become my salvation. In other words, God has always been who he is. When Moses said, now he has become my salvation and that of Israel. Now the word salvation is translated from a Hebrew word, Yeshua, from where we get the word Yeshua and so on. That is really derived from a Hebrew root that implies bringing help to people in the midst of their trouble rather than in rescuing them from the trouble. So instead of rescuing, you bring help to the person where the person is. Now the Hebrew word then means deliverance, as it is used in Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving to God for giving her a child and thereby delivered her from the concept of shame in the ancient world. Of being childless, especially among the Hebrew people. When a woman is childless, it is looked upon that she has received curse from God. So it was something that at, the, at least at that time no woman would want to that is want to be childless. So it was something that bothered Hannah for years. Until the Lord delivered her and she called God her salvation. This is how we see it in 4 Samuel chapter 2 verse 1. 4 Samuel chapter 2 verse 1. For Samuel, chapter 2, verse 1 reads, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. The deliverance from childlessness. Now the word will also mean safety, as in Job's complaint of losing his security, as recorded in Job chapter 30 verse 15. 
Job chapter 30 verse 15. Job chapter 30 verse 15. It is terrors overwhelm me. My dignity is driven away as by the wind. My safety vanishes like a cloud. So it's a Hebrew word Yeshua that's translated here safety. Now the word may mean salvation in a religious sense as it is used by the psalmist in Psalm 62 verse 1. Psalm 62 verse 1. Psalm 62 verse 1 reads, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. Here it is more in a religious sense rather than a physical sense. Now the word may mean salvation in a physical sense of rescuing from danger or physical danger as that is the way it is used to describe Israel's desire in time of distress as is stated in Isaiah chapter 33 verse 2. Isaiah Isaiah chapter 33 verse 2. It is, O Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning. Our salvation in time of distress. Now the word may also mean victory, as in the praise of the victory the Lord won for his people, as stated in Psalm 118, verse 15. I've cited this before, Psalm 118, but this time verse 15. Psalm 118, verse 15. It reads, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Here our Hebrew word is translated victory. Now in our passage of Exodus 15 verse 2, it means salvation in a physical sense. And so refers to a means of preserving from harm or unpleasantness. When God preserves a person from harm or some kind of unpleasantness, then that is salvation or deliverance as it is used in Exodus 15 verse 2. Now the true God of creation has been and will continue to be the one that preserves his people from hands and delivers them 
from their troubles. That you can count on. He has been that. He'll continue to do that. Now we are going to face uh, troubles and uh, harms on our way, on our journey towards home. The heavenly home. Because of that, we're going to see all kinds of troubles. We're going to meet all kinds of challenges. But one thing is that you can be sure. Unless his time for you is up. Otherwise, one way or the other, he will deliver you from your troubles. It may not come when you think it will come, but he will do it. That you can be certain. Doesn't. When Moses wrote in Exodus 15 verse 2, He has become my salvation. That implies that he had had knowledge of God's function in relationship to his covenant people regarding their deliverance from the hands of the Egyptians. He, he acknowledged that. He had acknowledged God because he experienced that. So in fact, it's most likely though that Moses' mind went back to the assurance he gave Israel as they panicked because of the pursuit of the Israelites as the assurance he gave them in Exodus chapter 14 verse 13. Exodus Chapter 14, verse 13, we've studied it in detail, but just go through there. Yes, it is. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. So Israel has seen the Lord's deliverance as promised. So it is fitting to acknowledge that he has become Israel's deliverer from death at the hands of the Egyptians or the Egyptians. So anyway, when we praise God for his goodness, we should have a heightened awareness, a heightened awareness of his ability to preserve and protect us. We will praise him. We will thank him for his goodness. Need to recognize. Have that a heightened awareness. That will help you if you face a situation where you may feel afraid. Just you have that that this God has an awesome power. He can do whatever is within his will in accordance to his nature. So if you, if you have that, then you shouldn't be afraid, whatever you face. Hence, when we engage in praise of God for his goodness, we should focus on this fact that whatever we have experienced as part of his goodness should remind us who God is. Although sometimes we forget of what a great God will worship until he, again, in his goodness, he shows us his goodness in a way that we could not grasp or imagine. At that point, even briefly, we may think about it. 
But really what we are saying, you are praising God means that you should constantly remember His goodness to you and recognize the awesome power that He exercises in doing whatever He did for you. Now the description of God as Moses and Israel's salvation or deliverer in the sentence, He has become my salvation, is then followed by a statement that focuses on the relationship between Israel and the supreme God of the universe that can be traced to the time of the patriarchs, according to Exodus 15, verse 2, where we're studying, because He is my God. He is my God. Look at personal. And I give to, I've said many, many times Christianity involves a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Personal. In other words, that he treats you is not quite the same he will treat the other person. It's, it's all tailored. It's, it's very special towards you. That's the kind of God we worship. And just think about it, Father. This God, I mean, some of you have been in a situation where you want the attention of the speaker or whatever. God is not like that. He can give each believer attention at the same time because He is everywhere. He, you can get His attention everywhere and anytime. So, when He says, He is my God, He was being personal, which you should be. Now, literally, Hebrew really reads, This my God. And then see how, how, I mean, that's how personal, this, my God. And I want you to, as a believer, develop that. Know that He is your God. Very personal. It's not someone so far away. He's with you. Wherever you go. Wherever you stay. This, my God. Now, the literal Hebrew that uses the demonstrative uh, this, intends to focus on the unique God of Israel that can be described as Israel's salvation. Now this God, as we have stated, can be, uh, this God, it can be traced back to the time of their forefathers because of the word God is translated from a Hebrew word El, E-L, I mean, removing all the Hebrew Things that you can't pronounce really, but it's just L. That is really a generic name for God that focuses on His might and power. The word was used to describe the God of Abraham that He that He worshipped, although with the adjective Almighty in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Genesis chapter 17 verse 1. And hold on, we're going to pick a lot from Genesis. Genesis chapter 17 verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. That's what God he says, I am El. El. Walk before me. And be blameless. Now likewise, it is a word that Isaac, that word El, used to describe God when he instructed Jacob to go to Padan 
Aram to obtain a wife, as we read in Genesis chapter 28, verse 3. Genesis 28, verse 3. Genesis 28, verse 3 reads, May God Almighty, again that's L, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your number until you become a community of peoples. Now it is the word L used to describe the God that appears to Jacob when he was then returning to Canaan after about 20 years of stay in Padan Aram as we read in Genesis chapter 31 verse 13. Genesis chapter 31 verse 13. It reads, I am the God El, I am God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at, at once and go back to your native land. Now those, we are certain that a Hebrew word is used to describe the God of Israel as the object of their worship, who is the supernatural being who originated and rules over the universe. Hence, Moses claimed a personal relationship to this supreme God in the sentence of Exodus 15 verse 2, He is my God. He did it in such a way to imply that the Egyptians have no such relationship with the supreme God. But he does, so he said, He is my God. So you should be able to say, He is my God. And it be personal to you. Now the recognition by Moses that God is his and Israel's salvation, or one that keeps them from harm, and their God led him to a renewed resolve of praising him as we read in Exodus chapter 15 verse 2. He says, And I will praise him, my father's God, I will exalt him. Now the object of resolve to praise God is described with the phrase, My father's God. My father's God. Now the, this time the word God is different. It's translated from the Hebrew word that most of you know, Elohim which is a generic name for God as a supernatural being who originates and rules over the universe. It is the name of God that begins the Old Testament scripture to describe the creator of heaven and earth. The word Elohim begins Genesis 1 verse 1. Now the Hebrew word also may mean heavenly beings. Those we call gods. And that's the way that is used in uh, Psalms. I'm not going to read it. Psalms 8 verse 5. Anyway, the Hebrew word for sure in our passage is used for the God of Israel. So in any case, we should ask the question of what Moses had in mind in that phrase of Exodus 15. We say, my father's God. My father's God. Now the phrase could not have referred to Moses' immediate father, Amram, mentioned in Exodus 6, verse 20. 
He couldn't be referring to that. Now, so, we said that Moses could not have meant his immediate father in the phrase, my father's God. Because that would have been unusual to refer to his father when the song is to be sung and to be sung by the Israelites who are descended from different tribes or from different sons of Jacob. Now, furthermore, there's no pattern we can find in the Old Testament scripture where when Israel is concerned, God is described in terms of any of the other sons of Jacob. When God appeared to Isaac, he identified himself in relation to Abraham, as we read in Genesis 26, verse 24. Genesis Chapter 26, verse 24. It reads, That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Now likewise, when God appeared to Jacob, when he was running away from his brother Esau, God identified himself in relation to his father and grandfather in Genesis 28 verse 13. Genesis chapter 28 verse 13. It is there above is to the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. So, there's never a time when we see God being described in, in terms of the names of the sons of Jacob. So that uh, even um, anywhere you go through, you will see Israel referring to, their, uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's no record of the description of God in terms then of the sons of Jacob, let alone that of his grandson Amram, the father of Moses. Therefore, we contend that Moses could not have meant his father in the phrase of Exodus 15, my father's God. So, if that's not what he, who he meant, what then does he mean when he says, my father's God? As you may take we are out of time. We'll answer that next week. But remember that the message or the second responsibility is to ensure that in your praise you acknowledge specific characteristics or characteristics of God relevant to his action for which you praise him as we will, as you will, as well as you acknowledge his uniqueness to you. So this is their responsibility towards praising God on a daily basis. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will enable us to learn how to really praise you for the awesome God that you are. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.